listening to Living with ADHD and CPTSD, available on Apple and wherever you get your podcasts. everybody and welcome to another episode of living with ADHD and CPTSD. Today I'm doing an ADHD episode and I have three guests appearing or sorry appearing on my show. Um, I have Sarah who is from St. John Newfoundland. I have Anissa who is from Finland and then I have Smita who is from India. Thank you all for coming on the show. I'm um, really appreciating you come on. And why don't you introduce yourselves real quick and then we can get started. Great. Hi, I'm Sarah. Um, as the host said, I'm from St. John's Newfoundland and I'm really excited to have this conversation today. Thanks for having me. Um, hello, my name is Anissa and I'm from Finland and thank you for having me. Hello, I'm Smita. I'm from India and thank you for having me. Excellent. Well, thank you all for coming. Um, this is a great opportunity to discuss to not only each other about our ADHD, but to the audience who is pretty much all over the world. Um, especially, and we have the, the, the great fa um, fact that a lot of people don't really necessarily understand or know is that Seventy uh, percent of my audience is female, <laughs> and that's actually really fascinating because, although it doesn't surprise me, because uh, a lot of men are not as just talkative and willing to discuss their issues when it comes to either ADHD or CPTSD. Um, I have had a few, but. The majority of them are women are a lot more willing to discuss and talk about their their ADHD and CPTSD. So that's fantastic. So this is a good target audience. And as well, as I learned, um, all of my guests are quite young. Um, the, uh, the oldest is only 24, while the other is uh, 19 and 20. So I, I have a nice younger um, guest guests on my show for a bit more diverse because a lot of my audience is a little older, um, but still that's this is wonderful because it gives the younger people an, an opportunity to hear about experiences and struggles with ADHD. Okay, so I'm going to start off. My first question is is before you were diagnosed or before you learned about your ADHD, what was your life like, like in school, uh, especially like high school and middle school, before you, real you realized that you had it, what was life and school like for you? I can start us off. Um, I really struggled academically and always have um, for my entire life. Um, and that's the reason why I was led to be tested. Um, so the struggling academically, obviously, memory was a huge thing, short-term and long-term memory with ADHD um, was a struggle as well. 
So I'd say that academically, that was my main point uh, through high school was that struggle. Right. For me, it was um, basically when I was in high school, I only hyper-focused on studies. I thought because I, I realized basically at that time, and even when I was younger, that it took me longer to actually process anything. And so what I would do is I would study hours on end. And I was, I wouldn't say focused, but I would say that I would like put a lot of hours in to get like good notes, make them look nice. You know how sometimes you get kind of obsessed with like making things look uh, super like aesthetic or I, I tried to do extracurriculars and um, it got to a point where I was so burnt out during high school, like the final exams, I was projected mm. to have the best numbers in class. And I turned out to be having like barely made it through. Uh, wow. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, this is nothing like I, I want to just like emphasize this. I'm not even bragging here, but um, I was told uh, or encouraged by my teacher to apply for Cambridge. And I did with my predicted grades. And then because of the burnout, I they immediately rejected me, obviously. I'm laughing now because it's really funny to me now. But uh, it, and, and I didn't even get to my like 50th choice, if that makes sense. Like I had to rearrange wow. my whole life because of that whole burnout thing. And the same thing happened in university when I was doing my undergrad. Like it, it comes in cycles. And, and that's when I realized during this pandemic, uh, like literally a year or like ago that this is not normal. Normal people don't struggle with, you know, admin stuff. We don't, normal people don't struggle with homework. Normal people don't struggle with, you know, like memorizing like, or, or doing tasks. Like this is, I, I am struggling. So where's yeah. that coming from? And that's where it came. Like, yeah, that's where it started. Wow. Smita, yeah. you have anything to say? Um, my memory is a bit fragmented if I think about the past. Like, it's like a bit sent pieces, but like I can't, like, won't be like as holy as like the other two of the guests has explained. But from what I remember is that when I was... <sighs> Wait, excuse me. No problem. So, I actually struggle from if I'm if we start from like elementary school, middle school, I struggled to make friends in socially. I actually struggled a lot socially to make friends because like I was the quote unquote weird kid and like there's that thing and when I was, as I said, once that from from the age sixteen, I started to have depressive episodes. But like, it I didn't. I don't know how to explain. Like, I might be functioning that time when it first started. I was able to function normally, even though my grades were my average. My I wasn't academically good, but my but I was an average student. But that time from like 2018, I was 16 years old. That time my grades started to decrease by a huge drop because of this right. depression even though it was even though i was kind of functioning but like in the sense that i was doing basic stuff like i i i used to eat on time I used to sleep even but but like i used to have very 
very um, i don't know how to say i used to have empty spells when i was like 16 years since i was 16 years old and wow. just and the pandemic and after this pandemic it those it shot in middle of 2019 it kind of those those empty spells kind of went off but in 2020 it again from pandemic it again started to come up and it sort of like evolved into a full blown full blown depression okay gee wow yeah i can understand like i know i struggled with school um a lot of it like i'm i'm diagnosed as an inattentive adhd and so i wasn't a hyperactive like necessarily like it's hard to say when you're a little kid because a lot of kids or the vast majority of children are pretty hyperactive when it comes to be like playing around and 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 being active but i was never that way compared like to people who are diagnosed with hyper hyperactivity uh they like the the combination adhd i i wasn't like that i was the type that got easily bored and distracted and i had a very hard time staying focused i would often skip ahead to other areas of of a book or i would there would be other things that would be more interesting to me and i'd get easily distracted and couldn't pay attention so i my grades struggled unfortunately because of that and i i i just thought that i wasn't trying very hard i didn't i thought i was just not into school that it was it like i i didn't it didn't help that i was bullied in school because so that really kind of took away my some of my desire to be there but yeah if if i had been diagnosed in in school as a kid or even as a teenager uh who's to say what would have how my like my grades could have been but now that i'm i'm aware of of how my life is and and it's it's an adhd diagnosis you just you have to learn how to focus and the medication that i'm on is extremely helpful and i know a lot of people out there are hesitant to take medication because they don't know they they know that they've heard they've heard stories where a lot of people have to go through multiple different types of medication before they find something that works but to be honest it is worth it because when you do find that that correct medication and that correct dosage the difference there is there is a big difference when it comes to perf- like your ability to to be closer to a more neurotypical person and once you find it it's like motivating to stay on and to use it i think that's i think it's important like it's not the only thing obviously out there but it is important uh where do i have a question for you sure um while growing up did you often hear this phrase that that like if this if this if rose concentrated on this subject he could excel but he has no interest in concent- concentrating in that subject so he is a loser that kind of thing like i grew up listening to something like this like uh, my parents my teachers often said that if smita concentrates on this thing she can excel but she has no interest in this thing right this yeah like- i definitely have yeah 
I heard that a lot. I was, I, I grew up listening to that for my teachers and my parents. I still sort of listen to it at times because like, it's a thing because that if I don't, if I'm not interested in something, I will not excel. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's see, that's the thing is like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, <laughs> I'm 20 years older than Anisa. Okay. So I went to school in the eighties and nineties and back then ADHD was still relatively new. Like it, it, it had only been around for a very short period of time and none of my teachers had any idea. Like they didn't, they weren't aware. They didn't, like if they were, it was very minimal knowledge and they were, they're there to teach, right? They're not there to, to like study every student and go, Hmm, I wonder if that person's got a disability, if that person has ADHD there, that's not their job. And I remember neither of my parents had really any knowledge in regards to this sort of uh, disability. And I was, I remember going and it, it was all this, it was a constantly being, oh, oh, you're not trying, you're not, you know, you're not interested. You're just, you need, you need more structure. You need more discipline, blah, blah, blah. And today that'd be different, right? So yeah, you have to, you have to learn to, um, I guess in today's society, it's easier because more people are aware of it and more people realize that there's this, this ADHD is out there, but yeah, being told that you're just not interested or you're not concentrating, you're not trying hard enough. If you just try harder, you might, you would do better in school or better at this. That's a, that's a, a stereotype or a stigma that was, that's been out there. And that's the, that's the easiest way that they just, they, they talk about you or whoever that, that is struggling in school is it's, oh, if you would just try harder, if you just concentrate more, you'd do better. But the reality is, is that you've actually, that there's a good chance that you have ADHD. And I add to this because honestly, just hearing this, it kind of gives me all the memories coming, like the, all the memories are coming back because I was told by teachers constantly, even as, even when I was in first or second grade, they were telling me, or my parents actually, and in my grade cards, report cards, that she's a great kid, but she loses her focus so easily, or she listen, she doesn't listen to our instructions, or she forgets the instructions instantly. I even was sent um, into like a, like a ear, what's it called? Like a listening, um, like test where they would like uh, test your um, listening. And if my yeah. ears were working properly and it turns right. out that I can hear fine. It's just, I ignored, like their conclusion was that I was ignoring their instructions on purpose. And, and uh-huh. like, so I don't know, like, I'm so sorry, Smita, that you've gone through that because, and also like to anybody who's hearing, cause it, it is, it's really demotivating. It really makes you feel like you have no nothing of like, like you don't have a, like a proper worth or like you don't really matter in that sense. Like, cause I'm sure like everybody here uh, in this room or like in this space that we're talking in has some kind of special ability or some kind of special interest where we're very, very good at just because we're interested in it. It doesn't really like at the end of the day, like as I'm growing older, I'm realizing that, you know, while school is important, I guess, 
it's still not the base or the benchmark of of success there's so many other like types of successes like there's uh you can have emotional like intelligence you have um like some people are very good at memorizing some people are very good with people socializing or or uh, handling data or looking at the bigger picture or you know just being good at navigation you know like the the fact that we're all boxed boxed into one thing like you have to be success only way to success is good grades or or being obedient or being like super still eight hours a day uh in a school with a bunch of like kids it's not it's not the you know it's not good for everybody and yeah for sure while I grew up like in a school like when I was in primary school we had like we had our normal uh like we had kids who were able-bodied and I was in that class and then we had uh next to our school we had like uh kids who had uh severe disabilities uh to ranging from severe to like mild and so we would sit next to each other during like lunch or we would have uh combined classes sometimes so that helped me a lot when it came to like uh coming into contact with a lot of different like neurodiverse uh with neurodiversity in general but i would say that this also discouraged sometimes like with invisible disabilities because all that i saw and my concept of disability or neurodivergence was basically visible you know everything that was visible was disability to me if that makes sense so yeah i grew up in in that environment where i was never i never thought about uh the invisible parts and so it took me a long time to kind of accept myself as who I am without being like extremely ashamed or extremely um harsh to myself if that makes sense totally yeah yeah it makes sense like we grow up in a certain like understanding of our lives especially if it's been something that has been occurring from basically the beginning of our life like if we if we're all if we always had ADHD of course then we we grow up a certain way and we have like think of it this way we we think to a point until we're told that we have this this uh disability or this or ADHD we think that we're normal like we, we grow up and we behave and we, we do our thing as, and we think we're normal people. We think we're just being ourselves. And even our parents, unless there's something very obviously just not right, like if, if there's something that stands out really well, our parents for the most part are going to think that we're normal and that we're just being kids or we're just being, you know, jumpy, goofy, silly kids. But until some something changes or something comes out that is very obvious like we're in school and on a regular basis we're struggling and like you said anisa they tested you to see if your hearing was working and that is that's a very that's actually a quite a common thing is they the the parent goes okay my child is like i'm getting reports from from my teachers or from sorry from their teachers saying that my my kids not paying attention in school that they're they're bored or they're distracted or something and so they go and they check all these different different things they say are are they are they hearing okay or, or maybe they they don't have good hearing maybe they have poor vision maybe you know maybe there's 
the the thinking the thought that it's ADHD doesn't necessarily come up right away because a lot of times if if a child has poor vision they're they obviously are struggling to look at the board and then they just determine well I can't read the board or I can't look so they they, they just stop trying or if they if they have poor hearing clearly they're they're not paying attention but if if they've got everything is working fine they have perfect sight they've got perfect hearing and they can't and may, yeah maybe it's just strictly a a sight thing then or not sorry sorry it's ADHD unless there's someone who knows about it it's awful difficult to to start the process to get diagnosed and fortunately today it's not as difficult but it's still a struggle depending on where you are I have a question for everybody. Do you guys yeah. struggle with emotional regulation? Like when it comes to anything from like, like a small setback during the day, or if you have like a plan, you've planned obsessively over like, oh, today I will do X, Y, Z, and it doesn't go your way. And they're really, really like, instead of it, think, instead of thinking about it, like, oh, it's just a setback, you just get really upset or sometimes even mad like controlling your emotions or or if you're very excited it, it just kind of comes out um I've gotten sometimes as a kid uh or even when I was a teenager I used to get reprimands for either being too loud uh while laughing or why are you talking so fast you're talking over me or mm -hmm. focus uh I was talking this my turn to talk now or um stop reacting let me finish my sentence you know like these kind of uh, remarks have been made and it, and it's really upsetting because sometimes it might be your family member who you really really trust and love and they it feels like betrayal it feels like humiliation and embarrassment so has anybody had something like that absolutely because as i said i have problems with depression as well so there is that and I don't know how to say but when I am getting scolded by my parents like some they are giving me lectures or something I my thoughts they get very dark I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to change the tone of this meeting but at most I can see it gets very dark my thoughts get very dark and what you have described the same things happen to me sometimes it's also like there is a thing with my with my family like Sometimes I might not be saying it, might not be yelling at anything, but like I might be just reacting with a sigh and sigh, like like this something, and they get yeah. they get annoyed by me if I with the simple this. Right, like, right. They tell me that that why are why are you reacting like this? Because what I'm what I said is correct. That you should have done this, which I'm also agreeing that yes, I should have done what you have said, but. I, I can't help that. That's my natural instinct to just sometimes just to calm myself. It's a kind of a thing to calm, calm myself down because like I'm either suppressing myself or either I'm overtly everything is feeling I'm reacting, blasting out. It's no in between. Yeah. Well, that's I'm I'm sorry that you have to go through that, but that is what what is happening is actually very common. Um, it is well known in I've, my research that I've done on ADHD is it's very common 
for people who have ADHD to go on a terms of from being calm to upset or angry or frustrated. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's easy for us to go from zero to hundred real fast because the emotional regulation is definitely a lot has, has so much to do with that because we're, we have a hard time regulating our emotions. And so it affects things like, um, our short-term memory, it affects things like our ability to regulate that. Like we're neurotypicals. If somebody says something to them that is put, that is um, scary or that is as upsetting, they have the ability to, to regulate and to kind of like an inner voice in a way to say to themselves, okay, let's, let's evaluate this real quickly before we make a comment or before we decide, you know, we make a reaction. And because of that inability to do that, which does tie into a lack of impulse control, it makes it difficult to, to take that second or two to, to, to think about what is going to happen or what our reaction is going to be. And we just snap or we, or we're immediately frustrated and it comes out in of like, in a verbal form, it can come out in a physical form. Uh, and then in, inside our minds, we're, we're enraged and we're frustrated because we, you know, we're feeling, we just don't have that ability to, to step back and, and, and say to ourselves, uh, well, hmm, maybe, you know, like to think about it, which is the whole problem is that we have a hard time thinking ahead of our ahead of our, our displeasure or ahead of our, our thoughts or what, what's going on. And it often gets in the way of so many things. And it is one of the main reasons why a lot of people with ADHD have, a, have such a difficult time either making friends or maintaining them because we, we, have that, we have such a difficult time with regulating our emotions and, and controlling our impulse. So it, it plays such a huge factor on so many levels. And so, yeah, I, I completely get it. And it's especially in a, in a culture that is possibly more conservative or more like even like I want to say religious, it, it can definitely play a part as well. I'd like to add too that I think emotional regulation is a skill um, that mm -hmm. is taught from a very young age. I'm currently doing early childhood education and I'm learning about that now. And I think that it's, it's personally, and I think a lot of other people with ADHD have it where it's fight or flight. Absolutely, even, yeah. Even in the sense where some situations it isn't technically fight or flight in a person's mind that has ADHD, every situation is fight or flight. Oh, for sure. That's, that makes a lot of sense when you think about it, really. That's so interesting. Thank you, Sarah. I, I was just wondering, because um, I was talking to my therapist, and um, basically my story starts with, I have had um, long-term depression, like for a decade, uh, about 10 years. And then suddenly I started to get symptoms of uh, severe anxiety when I was 18. And that's, uh, and then during pandemic, I kind of got fed up with both of them, both of being 
uh, not being able to talk on Zoom. Uh, like at that point, I was not able to even talk on Zoom. I was so anxious or even meet new friends or do whatever. And then on top of that feeling like I was worthless, like over and over again. Uh, so when I went to the therapist, they were saying, have you ever tried journaling? And I thought that was the most stupidest thing I've ever heard, as if that will solve my all of my problems. And I was telling them, like, I have a trouble. I have lots of uh issues with uh, maintaining a routine I can never do a habit properly I can never do like I can't emotionally regulate myself nothing is going and the first thing that they were saying have you thought about journaling or confiding in somebody and I was thinking to myself this is this is um this is not helpful at all like um how, how does anybody like why is there so much struggle how can you be struggling so much to just like live at the bare minimum, like waking up and doing your bed? I could not do that at the right time or brushing your teeth. Like I used to be so ashamed of like fact, the fact that I sometimes couldn't brush. I couldn't like brush my teeth. I either forgot or I didn't like, I didn't have the drive or motivation, I guess, to do that, to brush my teeth or brush my hair or eat like, it came to a point where like I was seen as lazy, unmotivated, unhygienic even when it wasn't really. So um, I'm just thinking like, what, what, uh, so Sarah, you were talking about like that uh, this is a, uh, like a learned skill. What could be like some examples of how to build something like, let's say as a child or even when you grow up? I think it's a very hard learned skill for people with ADHD and I'm taught ways, but I'm not able to maintain them myself. A routine for me is extremely difficult and journaling is something that I personally would probably never be able to do um, just because I know my limits. Um, And obviously I'm willing to try a lot of things. Um, I think there's different ways for different people. And I think, especially with ADHD, ADHD is so diverse. Like I'm inattentive, for example, but like, there's so many different types of ADHD. There's so many different ways of thinking about ADHD. There's, if you really think about it, there's just a lot of different ways that, and methods that things can be done to help with ADHD, but not one way is just going to help everybody or even three or four different ways might not help everybody there's not a one size fits all for ADHD um and that's for sure absolutely not no you know I have a feeling in the future they're gonna you know how there's three different kind of diagnoses that you can get currently like there's you can be a hyperactive ADHD you can be a combination where you've got both hyper and inattentive and then you can be an inattentive ADHD diagnosis I, I believe as research continues and there's more information and more knowledge that is brought out, especially if they start, if they're able to do more research in other countries that don't have the same kind of, um, you know, investment in it. I have a feeling there's going to be more levels of diagnosis available because right now, like it's, it's still relatively, new like I know that there's a lot like there's a lot of people out there that are are aware of it and have understanding and there's a lot of research it's just 
due to the limited technology that there is out there right now, still, you know, 2022, but there's, it's, we still don't have a full understanding of the mind compared to other areas of the body, of course. And when we get more and more like knowledge and understanding of how the mind works, there's going to be, it's going to be a much better like understanding of how ADHD affects us because everybody has their, like you said, Sarah, everybody has their own unique kind of ways that ADHD affects them. And the one thing I I did, I actually did a, um, a podcast episode recently about this that is affecting actually is, is, is a lot to do with myself, but a, a lot of people out there, it, it's just starting to catch fire here is a lot of people who have ADHD are learning that they're, they actually are getting the ADHD is developed because of childhood trauma. It's not always a hundred percent genetic. And that's it. Actually, there's there's a lot of research out there, and there's a lot of people who have who are noticing that this is actually happening. And the the reason that they didn't necessarily know at first for the longest time is because the damage that's being done because of the trauma is so similar in the mind when it and as you know, as the child is developing into a teenager and into an adult, the the damage to the mind to the brain is so similar to how ADHD affects the mind. And that's why a lot of people who have inattentiveness or have a lack of, have a hard time concentrating or hyperactive or hyper-focused on things that they really love is not necessarily genetic. It, like, you know, right now it's, it is still the majority of, of diagnosis that it's genetic right now. But there are a lot of them out there that this, these, like these methods, this, the hyperactivity, the inattentiveness, the lack of focus developed due to the trauma, because it was a way of, of coping, of dissociating and distracting themselves from it. And so it developed in their brain. And now that they're adults, this is there permanently. And that's the thing is that there's the understanding of, of our mind is still, there's still such a long way to go. And they're going to, I, I just have this feeling that one day, I don't know how long it's going to take, but there will, they will have a much wider range of diagnosis available for ADHD than there, than there is today. I think I agree with that too. And also with ADHD, it's very rare, at least from my personal experience with a bunch of friends that have it, that it's just ADHD. Um, It often comes along with anxiety, depression, eating disorders, the list goes on and on and on. And I think over time research should get better for ADHD. Totally. I second that. Um, with, With like research about like scientific research regarding like, the the cause of ADHD it seems like uh, when you look at like um, something like autism I recently found that they have I, they have redefined it that uh, in the what's it called the manual of um, disorders I, I, DMS, oh, DSM 
DSM, yeah. yes, DSM-5. So they've reevaluated and made it more specific because now they have more information. I really hope that the same thing happens to um, ADHD research and that there would be more funding because it, it's, um, it, 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 I think in, in general, like popular culture, it's looked at as this hyper kid or hyper person who's always fun to be around is quirky, uh, kind of weird entertainment piece when it's yeah. actually a very debilitating kind of uh, condition. We are literally hanging sometimes without medication on literal like edge of, of like chaos. And then sometimes it's fun, sometimes, most of the times it's not. And uh, you were talking about the fact that it's uh, it could be like due to childhood trauma. And I find it so interesting because um, I'm wondering if like previous generation and especially when you come from, let's say, third uh, world countries, there might have been previous famines, previous wars, current wars, uh, food oh, yeah. uh, scarcity and stuff like that. I'm wondering how all of this like world events have actually shaped let's say a child's uh, like like you know how they grew up how they're thinking and you know when you've grown up in that environment and then you're coming let's say somebody immigrated or migrated somewhere else and now they're safe now the same skills that you learned when you were younger in an unsafe environment don't really apply here so you're just actually at a disadvantage now so I think this would be a very interesting uh, also perspective to look into because we always think that maybe the child is in a constant environment, whereas most of the childhood trauma, a lot of it actually comes from like an unsafe, unstable environment. And absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's so fascinating. Yeah. Like, you know, you, now that you just said that you mentioned the pandemic, I, I in right now, I was just thinking about this. The children who are growing up in like that are four and five and six and their brains, are, you know, they're starting to finally get the all the the growth, like the sensations and the, and, and they're having all that um, uh, relay of information coming into their minds because now that that's the time when things start to to really kick in and they've gone through like there's how many kids out there today have gone through this pandemic and in especially in countries that don't have access to things like the vaccinations like the vaccine and and the healthcare is not as good and these children one they're they're not able to go to school so they're they're having to deal with all these people wearing masks and all this anxiety that is that's everywhere they're experiencing it as well because they're obviously children and and they need their parents to make them feel safe and if that parent is not feeling safe and is feeling anxiety all the time it's extremely difficult for that child to feel that to feel safe when they're the person that they're looking up to and is supposed to provide for them the safety and and food and everything isn't isn't thinking them themselves that they're safe. They're not going to necessarily feel that at all. And God forbid if one of their parents passes away from from this COVID and now they've now they've lost a parent, that's traumatic on them as well. 
And so now they've they've not only gone through a, a pandemic where they've had a hard, difficult time feeling support and feeling safe, they lose a parent, which is extremely difficult. Obviously, they're going to grow up with this, especially because now it's it's coming on two and a half years now. They're going to grow up, and they're going to. There's a good chance that they're either going to have uh, trauma related childhood trauma issues, but they could very well develop, and and there's a good chance that they're going to develop ADHD on top of this, and you're going to see a large increase of cases everywhere because especially the fact that trauma can and ADHD have such a similar way of developing the mind or the brain at a, at a young age, it's, this is going to be very serious. I do agree with this. I was reading on social skills of children, especially who were born right now during the pandemic. And it seems like a lot of children have, like on a general level, a really hard time understanding social cues. They have higher anxiety when it comes to look like, uh, being in big crowds or or interacting with strangers and 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 just like getting warmed up to like general people and um in and the kids that go to kindergarten too like they start exhibiting um behaviors that have like that are like almost violent because they don't know how to actually properly adjust yet. And, and so it really kind of, yeah. So like even my, uh, like from an anecdotal kind of perspective, two of my cousins were born during this pandemic. One is like two, another one is one. And both of them have a really hard time with talking because Mm. they've only seen their own parents talk and they don't, they haven't seen other people talk around them. Also, they're very set in their own ways. So they're not very malleable when it comes to things like compromises or when it comes to understanding um, like empathy or compassion. It's harder for them because they've only seen one set of like moral or ethical or kind of like, you know, rules and regulations, which comes directly from their parents. And I'm I'm just wondering how how that will affect to like how will how will that affect a neurodivergent child on top of that, of of being um having like a hard time just uh, like understanding the social cues yeah that's a great um, question I, I have something to add absolutely so so uh, as i said about myself i'm from a third world country a third world developing country and in a and like in in my culture excuse me in no my problem. culture like it is kind of like what would what is normal in my culture will be considered abusive in like quote-unquote white people culture like physical like it's normal to hit a child it's very normal practice to hit a child to like to correct them in indian culture so like almost Uh. everyone so like almost everyone they grew up getting hit by their parents in some way or the other like physical abuse is a thing in our culture and and a lot of yeah. things a lot of things done by the parents and like here are like sometimes it's verbal and verbal abuse like sometimes like here my mother the here is a thing like some mothers have this habit of saying that once i'm gone i will you will understand my importance and sort of like sweeping the child like yeah the child and 
this is also very normal practice in indian culture indian mothers do that a lot like yeah that's really sad like it, it, that's that's a very interesting point like i i'm actually it's quite intriguing because even you think about this uh, every every culture is different for a lot for quite a few things in life like like discipline i i know in in north america there's there for a long time there's been a big push back against uh corporal punishment like spanking and and that kind of discipline and even to the point where now i don't know for sure like i i haven't really done any research on it but i i believe there was a even people that were trying to make laws that if a child was spanked by their parent that they could be taken away or the parent could be charged with with child abuse whereas 30 40 years ago it was a accepted practice and no one even thought anything of it but no one saw what was coming from it or what could come from it as a result and i'm i'm uh, an example of it i was i was punished that way and i developed a form you know like a childhood trauma related flashbacks because of because of that kind of uh, punishment style and today it if it's ever discussed unless it's okay if it's people from that generation that discuss it it nobody really goes oh my god why would you do that it's more it's it's the younger generation or today's parents that would would say that's just disgusting i would never do that why would you ever do that to your child it's a completely different um way of life and it's it's sad that some places some countries still have that kind of um belief that that's a, that's a necessary thing to do in order to discipline a child and it i don't know i just i guess it's hard to say like at what point do you step in or do you have to understand that it's cultural or like where do you draw the line and where do you just have to accept that different cultures have different beliefs and ways of of bringing up their children like Smita, can I just like, um, can I just add to your point? Um, are you by any chance Bengali, Bangladeshi? Hi, I'm Bangali. Ah, oh, hello. So, uh, basically, I'm born and raised in Finland, but I'm ethnically uh, Bangladeshi or Bengali. So, I think we're both the same ethnicity, but uh, from two different places. So, um, yeah. Wow. I I literally figured like what what you just explained to me sounds very very common like because uh I, so I grew up with both Finnish and like Bengali culture and I see I saw this quite often in Bengali culture where um like um physical and mental and and like um, verbal abuse was something uh, used as a motivation and and the children who could not cope with it was they were called sensitive and and um, i'm wondering how what if what if these sensitive kids are just literally like just children you know we're just children so um so this this is one part of of seeing culture but then seeing uh, things in finland where 
again, we're European, but I would have to say that like there's statistics like the the Europe's most, uh, you know, like when it comes to uh, women, women's abuse at home. I don't, I forget the term actually in English, but you know, uh, like uh, home violence. Domestic. Yes. Domestic. yes, domestic violence is the highest in Finland. And, and, and this is a European country. In whole of Europe, it's the highest. Meaning uh, ranging from uh, like a woman being battered, their children being like abused and so on and so forth. So yeah. I, I've seen both sides. And I would say that regardless of, of culture, it just seems that there is an underlying issue with uh, of, of lack of understanding of how to actually parent your children. And, and it doesn't matter if it's now or before like 20 or 30 years ago. I'm sorry, Russ, that you had to go through that because it it sounds yeah. and it sure is very like um is disheartening because it shatters your inner child and and like it it really kind of sets the tone for the rest of the life i think absolutely gone, yeah and then and it's um the more i talk about like parenting uh, like roles and and how parents have affected adhd because there's one way you, there's I don't know, like, it's so hard to explain, but it's just like, if you really think about it, okay, this is personal experience, but I feel like I would have felt much happier being me if my parents were accepting from the get-go. Oh, even if 100%. They didn't know, yeah, if they didn't, even if they didn't know that I had ADHD, even if they weren't on, like, even if they didn't understand what it was, if they were just accepting of the fact that I was like a sensitive child growing up or that I liked books more than people or I, that I had interesting food patterns like eating patterns or that I I slept later and it was still fine and dandy then I would think I would have turned more like relatively uh happier I would have grown mm. up more or more content I guess because even to this day even though my parents are like I'm grateful. My parents are understanding. They know that I have ADHD. They're trying their best. But I still feel like I uh, I have lost so much time of my childhood because I was wondering what is wrong with me? Why can't people be with me? Why am I being bullied? Why am I feeling yeah. this? And and so like yeah, like regardless of cultures, some have really severe like Smita was talking about. And some have relatively easy when it comes to culture and parenting. But the, the problem still is there, which is like the, like the what's it called? Like your self-esteem is at all time low and, and you yeah. don't know how to even fix it. And because you don't know how to fix it, your whole life is falling apart and nobody is actually giving you proper advice. And even if they are giving you advice, they're looking down on you. They're condescending. They're, yeah. they're, they're looking at you like you don't have human skills to live. And I, I found that to be the most like shameful part of having ADHD, which is they look at you and infantilize you. Like you don't know how to take care of yourself. When I'm an yeah. adult, I'm 24. I'm doing a master's. I am doing ABC. I know so much. I am sure of myself. But once people, other people come in and ruin your peace, it just makes you feel like you have no control of your life. And that's the worst part of being ADHD, which is not having any control. Totally. Or, yeah, sorry, yeah that, that makes a lot of sense. Rant. 
yeah no that's okay that's 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 exactly what we want um yeah like i'm of course growing up in canada like i have and i and i was only recently discovered like i i didn't know this to such a degree until just recently but my my family my great-grandparents, they immigrated to Canada just at the turn of the 20th century. And they always had it tough. Like they weren't rich. They were coming over because they wanted a new start. So they, they got land and they, they, you know, they did their thing, but they never, they never grew up feeling like they had it made, like they were always struggling. And so there was like, domestic abuse there was uh mental abuse there was constant bullying um and then unfortunately because just the way things like how we learn and how people grow up experiencing us is they don't they don't know any better they don't realize that they can change and they put it on their kids and so obviously like their kids grow up with this and they have, if, unless they're smart enough to go, I am not letting this occur with my kids. They're going to do it to their kids. And at some point it has to stop. Like, that's the thing is that the ADHD comes from like the, for some people like myself who ADHD comes from the trauma. And there are a lot of people out there that probably have ADHD that aren't even aware of it. That, that it's a good chance that it came from them. Like in general, like, I guess I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say is that the parents at some point in some generation has to be capable of, instead of just repeating what their parents did and, and so on and so on through the generations, instead of that mother or that father seeing their child being extremely hyper or really distracted or doing really poor in school, and going, what is wrong with you? Or that that child just doesn't seem to have motivation, or it's just a really not a very smart kid. They need to think beyond that current, you know, status quo. They need to go, okay, my child, obviously, there's there, there's something that is different. But instead of blaming that child or making them feel bad about it or making them feel guilty for having ADHD, or maybe they've got dyslexia or maybe they've got something going on that, that is affecting their ability to learn or to be a norm, to, to be a, a happy child, they need to examine and, and be proactive. They need to, you know, go out and find a doctor and say, look, my child has is struggling in school there's there's these signs and i'm i i have this odd feeling that he has adhd maybe we can test can we test for adhd maybe that my child's got dyslexia there's some like because the child's not going to know he's not going to be able he or she's not going to be able to stand up at to their parents and say mom i can't focus in school can we get can i get tested actually that was my perspective Um, I did my own research. I I knew that I was neurotypical and I knew exactly what I had before I was able to get tested. Um, and I was finally put on a wait list because here in Canada, it's a quite a long wait list to be able to get tested. Um, and finally, unless you've got money. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. 
Um, and a lot of it too, not even, uh, yeah. you know, I have to have a lot of money. But um, when I finally did get tested, um, I, I knew what I had. I, it, there, I didn't need a, an expert to tell me through my own research, I was able to, to know. And I was very lucky to have great supportive um, parents. I found it was the outside sources uh, that were lacking, right. uh, such as the school system and the only accommodations. And the, I'm grateful for the accommodations I did have, but the only accommodations were extra time during tests. And uh, I was able to write on a computer. Um, nice. nothing, nothing for the point of memory, um, which was a huge problem with my ADHD. If I had to memorize nine things, my ADHD brain could only memorize three or four before the rest would just disappear. Um, yeah. so I think I, I'm very different in the sense that I did have great supports and I, I'm different in the sense that I was able to almost self-diagnose, uh, cause most children wouldn't go to their parents and say, Hey, um, yeah. I think I have this, <laughs> whereas um, I was a little bit different and uh, I, I'm still on a different journey with getting supports. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, I think everybody has their own journey and I think everybody is different with their ADHD. Yeah. That's what makes it so difficult because it's, it's not one thing and everybody has it. And then they just go, okay, here's how you, how you make it better it's everybody's different. Everybody has their own level of, of like problem it, you know, not everybody's brains the same. Some of us have a hard time with memory. Some of us have a hard time sitting still and focusing. Some of us have a difficult time with emotional regulation. Some of us just are, are so wired and so like hyper that we can't, you know, we, we need to find ways to burn off that excess energy or, or maybe a medication to, to help bring us down. Like there's, there's so many different possible explanations for it. And the one way that, yeah, you're right. It, it's, it's, you're great. Uh, sorry. It's fortunate that you were able to have that support internally within your family. It's just unfortunate that it was all the other areas like the schooling and stuff that that didn't support you in the same way. And it's unfortunate that that's such a common problem, right? Like teachers, even today, teachers don't necessarily have a lot of information and education regarding things like ADHD and other disabilities, that affect children's abilities to learn and to get an, a decent education. And it's, and the problem is it's not a simple stop. Like you can't just start teaching uh, teachers in, in university, how to recognize and how to deal with children who have ADHD or autism or, or other disabilities that are affecting their, their work or their ability to work. But it's a step in the right and, you know, in the right way, like it's, it's the proper direction to get in, but it takes time. And the only way for like our future, like if, if we have kids one day, or, you know, if, if our brothers and sisters have kids, hopefully the understanding and the support and the acceptance, at least within the family is strong so that that child never feels excluded or feels shameful or bad because they have some, they have this, 
this ADHD or dyslexia or, or some other disability that is affecting their ability to get educated. They want, they don't, they don't need to feel different. They just need to feel as if everything's okay. We will help you out, but it's not a bad thing. It's not a problem that you have this. Oh, absolutely. I, I think in many ways. Sorry, go ahead. So actually, my parents are not aware that I have ADHD. Like I took the I took my assessment when in early two thousand and early part of the last year, early two thousand twenty one, and I took it right. through like on from online therapy on from an from an online psych psychologist. They had sent me the the what to say. What do we call it? The assessment paper or something? What you say that yeah. sent me that? Yeah. And that's and that's how I of course I did that according to me according to how much I could do through my smartphone and in that way I got the assess the diagnosis. But like my parents don't know that I actually have a have a diagnosis the certificate of diagnosis in my email box that I have ADHD and they also like I also often talk and when I used to have when I started to have depression there was a time when it got a bit worse like during like in the last part of 2018 I think it got worse so I asked them that they also refused to support me in that because they thought that it is nothing like yeah, that's like I good. used to genuinely feel miserable. So I actually don't have so I don't don't really have a support from my family side because like I just think that they, they do not understand. Like they they grew up in a different way. Like there is also a thing of generational trauma. Like like my both of my parents when they were young they grew up poor and they did not have much resources. So like they aren't going to take something something like this that seriously so they start yeah i'm sorry that that's the case it, it it's it everybody needs support in some degree from their family it's that's really tough i understand like so smita i'm so sorry what um what has happened to you um what i understood was like this like uh this is what russ was saying uh, previously like you know uh if your parents have gone through some kind of traumatic event obviously it gets passed down to you and and one thing that i found consistently very interesting among like all the generations like was that like if you have like um a parent or a childhood yourself where you were struggling like to just make ends meet like physically like you don't do you have a house do you have enough food and so on feelings are feelings and emotions are not a thing to really actually think about and so when when you come and talk to a parent who has gone through some kind of struggle like that and you talk to them about like oh I have issues with focusing or I have emotional regulation issues to them it's not an important thing because they're like well you do have a house you you do have food we, we've got everything exactly covered that's exactly the thing with my own parents as well. Like as yeah. I said, my both my from my both my fathers and mothers said they grew up poor because like my grandparents had to migrate from Bangladesh to great grandparents had to migrate from Bangladesh to India during the partition time. So a lot of them were ended up poor because of that. 
and that's why i think my parents also ended up being poor and like from my father's side my grandfather he was very abusive to my to my grandmother very horribly abusive to my grandmother there is that thing as well and my my father sort of like raised himself up there is that thing like he made him he raised himself up without any support like he learned to become independent at a very young age that's same thing could be said for my mother as well they both learned to be independent at a very young age wow that's so terrible i'm sorry and, but that's yeah <laughs> i would also like to add like when it comes to like diagnoses and trying to get a diagnosis i've had the worst type of luck um here in finland um adderall or any kind of medication for adhd is actually a very like a classified one drug so uh when i was looking for um a psychotherapist or or um, any kind of mental health professional to actually kind of talk to uh they were giving me two options either go public where i would have to do these assessments on on a timeline of two plus years or i would go to the private where i have to uh, obviously pay a lot of money but also most of them would explicitly say in their websites that they do not actually work with adhd people people who are um they don't diagnose and they don't write any adhd related uh like uh, what's it called um prescriptions yes prescriptions exactly and and i think it stems from with the adderall um you know how a lot of people abuse adderall for other things and people who don't need yeah. adderall are using it and so i've i've had the worst type of uh luck with this because i was on this diagnosis process for two plus years through the public side and they were asking me to do paperwork on a weekly basis and and it was so difficult it still is i have to still upkeep with this and and it's like if i forget one like appointment i would be sent back by like three months and it would continue oh, wow. on and on it was it it still is and they at first when i told my uh like public gp i was like i think i have um adhd they were saying are you sure that you have this because it seems like you have good grades so you must not have this and then on the other hand they were like are you sure you want this because it seems like you're just you want something don't you we're not going to just give you this because we're not going to give you medication even if you get a diagnosis by the way and then so right now i don't even have medication because they are so suspicious of a young woman of of like in school who is doing okay with school but it has a diagnosis of adhd but they they don't want to give you the medication because they're thinking i'm faking it Oh wow. That, like it's 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 insane. And and then like no if I was going to go to another country to take to buy these pills, it would be illegal because I can't import anything to this country. So here I am where I was suggested to take just anti uh, anxiety pills, but those don't work and they're very highly addictive and they don't really serve a purpose for me. So it's interesting when a lot of people people try to frame it as a drug problem that oh these people these adhd people are faking it because they want drugs no we don't absolutely not we are 
we it's it's I think it's very unfair when um, when the healthcare system really looks at people who want help and who are who have come overcome uh, a lot of uh, like distractions, basically a lot of obstacles to go and ask for help, and they look at you with suspicion as as a first uh, reaction instead of I will help you. Let's figure this out, kind of approach. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I have the same experience at the, as Anissa as well. Like I told Ruth in my DMs that what happened. So like I got the diagnosis from this psychologist. So I was recommended to go to this psychiatrist for the medication recommendations. So I'm I'm doing this like off online. Like I could not just sit with them face to face for both the cases. So in this case also i was doing my assessment through phone and like i told them about my who i am and this thing like i told them that i am that i was a first year first year english honor student and i have had depression from age 16 and i have some issues with social anxiety too i think because of my because like i have a hard time making friends days that and and i told at the back then there's something some family problems was going on so like so like they were like that my that you don't say that psychiatrist literally blatantly told her you might not have adhd because your adhd is quote and quote mild i have the inattentive type actually to be honest so they said that my adhd is quote and quote mild so you might not have adhd but like a mixture of depression and anxiety and on top of that was more funny is that i did not even get the uh, medications for depression and anxiety as well because like i'm going to be honest i had a, i have history with can i talk about it it's absolutely yeah you can talk about anything um i have a history with suicide suicidal thoughts and i had a failed attempt at 2019 nobody knows about this but this was a thing so because of this i neither got the adhd medications nor i got a depression anxiety medications because they thought that i would be abusing them for you know so from that on i decided that i will never go to therapy at all like i'm not like the most anti therapist thing i think therapy helps a lot of people but i think that it failed me it all it had failed me repeatedly like it had failed me now it had failed me a long time ago it had failed me as a child so that's the reason i'm not doing any therapy neither i'm doing therapy nor i'm taking any medications like like it just felt useless to me because i can't go face to face because first my because like my because my parents don't understand and don't know that i have things they just think i'm lazy and useless and these things so i neither can can't go nor i can't and with the online one they will not trust me either because of my history so i completely gave up on therapy and medications is out of question this is the end of part 1 of this podcast for the second half stay tuned for this upcoming tuesday where you will be able to get a hold of and listen to the second part of this two part podcast of living with ADHD and CPTSD Bye for now. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Stay tuned for part 2 upcoming Tuesday. Mm-hmm.